Well, hey, good morning and welcome. It's the Patriot Radio News Hour, Monday, February 13th. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. What do we do? The physical delivery of gold and silver, legal, lawful, constitutional tender. So easy to get to. So easy. Just give us a call, one 800 951 The lovely Sarah is in today to take your phone calls, answer your questions, walk you through your order. Feel free to check us out online at allamericangold.com as well. You can order online. You can look at the products online. You You can also get the news to disturb the comfortable, where we don't tell you what to think, but we certainly give you something to think about. And there's one man behind the show. He's the man. He's the CEO. He's the janitor. He is the money behind the show, and he brings sense and sensibility to the financial news you need to know. He's Joe Jaquin, our CEO. How are you on the money, man? Hey, happy Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. I'm going to tell you that, uh, first of all, we got a fantastic show lined up. We really do. But before we get to it, um, a lot of... I don't want to call it news, but people are making this big deal. I don't know if, you, if people realize the prime minister of Japan was here. I saw a picture of him and Trump on the, like, the front page of one of the news sites. And, and they're all giddy about it. Uh, apparently, they're like, oh, they got along great. Like, they're new best friends. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. And, and the reason they gave was apparently they played golf together. And apparently there was a high five. I'm not sure. You know, I'm assuming someone hit a good shot. But right, yeah. I, 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 and I didn't pay enough attention. So I don't know if it was the prime minister of Japan or if it was Trump. But they exchanged a high five. And at the same time, uh, North Korea tested another ballistic missile. Those guys, I'll tell you. Right? Trying to ruin the golf game of, of President Trump and Prime Minister Abe. And they both agreed that that was bad. And I started thinking to myself, wait, what? That was it? Like, I was thinking that there was going to be some, you know, big press communicate. We're going to be working together and blah, 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 and the trade and this and that. None of that. They just became buddies? They just became... Well, I don't even really know if they are buddies. It's not like they drank sake bombers and then went to karaoke later. I mean, if they did that, you know, Trump could have saying, I'm turning Japanese and Abe, he could have said, I'm born in the USA, right? And then I'm really, okay, these guys are buddies. Evan, he and I very... Right? Right, all right. Right, but no, that did that. They, they gave a high five. And every time North Korea does anything, does anybody say it's good? Um, actually, no. No! But, it, you know, it's, I don't know. Just call me crazy. I don't get it. So, anyway, apparently, they got along famously. There you go. So there, there was some good news. All of these people that were worried about uh, Trump being mentally insane, apparently, uh, he's no more insane than the Japanese Prime Minister. How about that? How about that? There you go. Yeah, and then on another note, if you know, it is kind of snowbird season here. Kind of. This we're well, in the, yeah, we're right, in yeah, it. I know we're in the heart of it. We did something this weekend, and on those of you that know, 
and have listened to this show for a long period of time, my wife and I, we are very, very big on Family Fun Day, which is really, we called it Family Fun Day to try to trick our kids into, it'll be fun hanging out with mom and dad. Hey, man, right? I, I think and you guys that, are right? installing some And who knows, I've talked about Family Fun Day forever. And our kids are now older. They're 17, they're 14, they're teenagers. It's the last thing they want to do is hang out with their parents, but but uh, they understand it's part of the drill, right? They, yeah, shut your mouth, get in the car, right? <laughs> and so we did a couple of, of things. We went to uh, this farm in, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, like South Phoenix, and they had... Uh, you know, they're supposed to grow a bunch of stuff and have a food there and stuff like that. And we went there, and I'm not going to say the name of the place because I did. It wasn't great. Like I showed up there, and I'm like, "That's it." Like they had a couple of beds. I mean, barely a farm. Okay. So you were really punishing your kids. Well, but then we went to a place that I thought was spectacular and affordable for ten bucks a person. You can go to the Mystery Castle. If you've never done it or you've never heard of it, look it up. The Mystery Castle. The Mystery Castle. It's in South. It's in. It's on South Mountain. Uh, this guy, uh, Boyce Gully, built this thing from the start of the Great Depression and to the end of since 1945, the end of World War II, and. Uh, he had tuberculosis. His wife and his his wife and his daughter lived in Washington. They sent them to Arizona. Just a fascinating story. But this guy builds this place by hand. All by it took him fifteen years. All by himself. Most of the stuff he used to build this place with this, and it just looks like this castle. I mean, it's pretty incredible. He got it for free stuff that people weren't using. Just. Hey, you can use that. Yeah, have old it. railroad ties and telephone poles and and old uh, bricks that didn't meet the mustard. You know when they were making the bricks and maybe the kiln was too hot or something like that. And it, it was actually a neat deal. They take you on a little tour. The whole thing takes I don't know about an hour. So there you go. All you snowbirds out there don't know what to do today. Check Mr. out the mystery Mr. castle. Castle. Patriot Radio News. We're full of all kinds of advice. We'll be back after the break. Double J in the love Patriot Radio News Hour. Welcome to a Monday. It's been a great start of the year for gold and silver. Uh, Gold's down about 10 bucks because for the next two days, not today, but starting tomorrow, Janet Yellen, they do this uh, twice a year. She's going to testify in front of Congress. And I always love it because most of the people, you know, tell her what a great job she's doing, thank her so much for this and that, and then they get to ask, like, one question. And, you know, you get, you, you it's kind of like the shot clock, right? You only get a few minutes. And you spend most of the time blowing smoke up her backside and then you get to answer a question maybe she answers it maybe she doesn't but what makes me laugh are most of the questions are 
I don't even sophomoric meat. I'm just terrible, right? Like really, you only get to ask one thing. Here it is. It's our Federal Reserve chief, and you only get to ask her one thing. And and I'm like, and that's the question you ask her. And uh, but but we are supposed to get clues to the next meeting. I'm already going to tell you. I've already told you the answer. There is no rate hike. I think you're going to get confirmation of that over the next few days. Uh, but but they're looking for clues. I heard the the, the crime dog McGriff is going to be there. Uh, Blues from Blues Clues, the cartoon, the blue dog, he's going to be there. I mean, we're going to be looking for clues. Everyone's going to be looking for <laughs> I mean, I can't wait. I, I don't know where, we, you know, where they're going to be. I don't know. Inspector right, Gadget? Right. Maybe, you know, Maxwell Smart. Maybe it's in her shoe. Right. Maybe she has it in, in her. I'm sure she's got some kind of a briefcase. Some, I don't know. It could be in her pocket. I'm not sure. I'm just telling you what they're saying. They're all looking for these clues. Well, <laughs> break that down and figure it out. I don't know. Right. And, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, they're never right. Like, ever. And why we would think that this would be important, I don't know. It's almost like... Uh, like a TV op, and you get your one big chance to, you know, Ron Paul used to be really famous for th- this particular meeting because you could always count on the the fireworks because he would ask legitimate questions like to Ben Bernanke is gold money? Oh, that was a what a what a great question it was. And to hear Ben squirm and and try to say that no gold was not money, it was just simply a commodity and things of that nature were were great things. And he would challenge the Federal Reserve about fiat money. He would challenge them about deficits and interest rates. And one of the things that that is curious to me is why none of these people are holding the Fed accountable when it comes to not only the value of our money because apparently you know they're supposed to be the protector of this but why is it that the Federal Reserve has systematically changed how they report everything in order to make it appear like they're doing a good job. And yet the realities are that the vast majority of Americans for the first time in this country's history are living worse off than their parents. Now, there was a great article, and it it actually was out, and I didn't get to it last week, but do you know that over half of all the millennials, they're saying in their early 20s. Okay, now I want you to think back. Early 20s, and for the sake of uh, this particular study, they are talking about 22 to 24-year-olds. And they say that more than half of them, well, half of them, 
are still getting a monthly housing allowance from their parents. 24-year-olds, at this point, if you started college at the age of 17 or 18, you're, you should be done and out on, on your own. Well, you, you could be a doctor right. by that time. But but let's just uh, say... I, I, I think you're exaggerating a little bit there. I mean, I mean you're at, you're only at four years. I mean... Uh, you're 24. That's, you've been in school for college for six years. Not quite a doctor. Not quite a doctor. Not quite a doctor. Okay. Yeah, you're master's. You're, well, you're, you're approaching your master. And I'm just looking at the kids I know that are 24. Josh Brown's 24, basketball player. He's in his second year of his master's degree. Okay. So, so what I'm simply saying is this. I'm thinking of my own son. Okay, how old is your son? My, my son is 20. And he's going to graduate? I, I apologize, 21. And he did it right now. He 21. graduates this year. April. Okay. He walks in April. So by the time he was 24. He could well be on his way to finishing his master's if he just went to school continuously. You don't need that long. A couple of years for your master's. And especially with your kid, he's probably banging out in a year and a half. But nonetheless, let's not you're, – you're definitely – you're close. Right? You're there. Right? You're in the ballpark. I, I will tell you this. It's funny. You know, this weekend we went and got my son a suit. And I said, well, we got to get you a suit for your interview so you can go make that cheddar and get out of my house. <laughs> right? Dad, why are you being so mean to me? I ain't being mean. I was gone by the time I was 17, son. Time for you to bounce. And so you're sitting here and you're thinking about all of the things. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, 22, 24. And you're still getting a housing allowance from your parents. It's real. It's incredible. It really, truly is amazing when you think about you know, most people just a generation ago, and when I was growing up, I don't think I knew anybody. Maybe I didn't. I didn't know it. That was 24 years old and relying on their mom and dad. I mean, our generation. I honestly believe and if they did, it was it wasn't a hey every month my mommy gives me some money. I'm here to tell you, the kids I went to high school with, my friends, by the time we were 24 years old, if we were getting, if we were living with our parents, if the notion... I don't that's what I'm had, saying. I, where's your pride, man? Where, where's your, where, you're not, you're not a man yet. You had issues. You had problems. You had, I mean, and I meant, like, you really had issues. That you were incapable. Here's another thing. Parents back then pushed you out the door. Well, I don't know why you're still living here. Get out, right? Get out. What, what rule do I got to create to get Go you out of here? Go join the Army. Go join the Marine Corps. Go join something. You ain't sticking around, man. It's just a different world. It's not just a different world. People said, you know, but this was productive members of society, and all of these things are being pushed off, and I, and I start thinking about all of these people that are helping out, I guess helping out their, their children. And I'm thinking, what are these people thinking? You have no idea. The first time. I'll give you an idea. Okay, t- Wendy's not here today because she has to be at the dentist. Okay. Okay. Which, 
you'd rather be at work than at the dentist. But one of these days, and not, you know, knock on wood here, and I'm not wanting this to happen to anybody, but one of these days you're going to not be at work for something a whole lot worse than a toothache. And people have no idea what the real cost is and how quickly the your whole life is now going to be destroyed over something, you know, whether it be a medical thing or what have you. you know, and this is the thing that most people don't, they're not able to put their arms around it because it hasn't happened to them yet. The true cost of what the Federal Reserve has done the true cost of inflation, the true cost of having $20 trillion in debt, it's astronomical. And you know what? They've been doing it together. And let me tell you right now, when I tell you that these people are the smartest people in the room, I say it all the time, I'm not that smart. And I start talking about the the war on cash and as soon as I'm talking you know what it's everywhere right not a week goes by where we don't have at least one sometimes three four five articles a week about this country or that country or this economist or this Nobel laureate or this Federal Reserve chief or this Treasury secretary or this economist talking about the need to get rid of cash and then you start doing your homework, and you find out that these, I, you know, I don't know what to call bankers, if you will, these custodians of the currency, they've known about this problem for a lot, lot longer than even I thought. And, you know, you, you start thinking about uh, Bretton Woods, right, after World War II, the deal that was cut, which was, hey, we won the war for everybody. Now you have to use dollars to buy stuff. And it was brilliant. It really was brilliant. Because we, the United States, we ran huge trade surpluses. And then we said, hey, by the way, we want the dollars for it, right? And it was just all of this wealth was flowing into to America. And we were the superpower of the world. And it was amazing how quickly things changed. And as you know, when you think about the creation of the IMF, right, and how it came about, of course, right after, in 1944, and how Bretton Woods got his name, you know, that's the town in New Hampshire where the meeting was held. Brentwood? Brentonwood, New Hampshire, 1944, and it says the, uh, it was officially titled United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference. 
And this meeting brought about the creation of the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development and, of course, the International Monetary Fund. And as these members started working on trade and and really what their focus was currency reserves and obviously rebuilding Europe right because Europe had been what turned into a nothing but rubble right so they had to rebuild Europe and this is how they were going to do it and after they rebuilt Europe they 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 started to have problems because all of a sudden, all of these countries were getting worried about the amount of dollars that they were holding. And of course, we had a couple of things working during that time. We're going to talk about Robert Griffin, gold, and special drawing rights, and how they came about next. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Yesterday was Abraham Lincoln's birthday, a legal holiday in Illinois called the Land of Lincoln, but not in every state. I just learned that my grandchildren, who are in public school in California, have a holiday this Friday, February 17th, and are calling it Lincoln's birthday. I don't know if California's calendars are different or if the teachers just felt the need of another holiday. In any event, I'm glad they are remembering to honor one of our greatest presidents. When my own children were growing up, one year I took them to Disney World in Orlando, Florida, where one of the highlights was the Hall of Presidents. Disney created life-size models of many of our presidents and had them speaking some of their memorable words. The show's grand finale was Abraham Lincoln giving a portion of one of his great speeches. Years later, I took my grandchildren to Disney World to see what I thought would be the same inspiring program. Much to my dismay, the final speech was not given by Lincoln, but by Bill Clinton. What a disappointment! Abraham Lincoln, who was born poor and lacked formal education, was probably the greatest of truly self-made men. He believed, as he said, that work, work, work is the main thing. His economic policy was designed to clear the path for all and to spell out incentives to encourage entrepreneurs to create new jobs, new products, and new wealth. He believed in the right to rise, that equal opportunity leads to social mobility, and that government should foster growth. Lincoln said, We propose to give all a chance, and we expect the weak to grow stronger, the ignorant wiser, and all better and happier together. Most governments are based on a denial of the equal rights of men, but America uniquely began by affirming individual rights. On Lincoln's way to Washington to take office as president, he said, I have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the Declaration of Independence. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Want to join the spirited debate over issues you care about? At PSEagles.com, conservative strategists are blogging about education, radical feminism, climate change, national security, parental rights, and other issues you care about. Stay informed and add your own comments at PSEagles.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. I think this should be a fascinating question for the chairwoman during her testimony in front of Congress over the next two days, but none of them will ask it. So we know about Brenton Woods. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, this was really the forming of the International Monetary Fund, this was the bunch of the countries coming together to to rebuild Europe and to formally say that the United States or the U.S. dollar was the currency to be used in global trade. And we see the remnants of that everywhere. You know, we got spot gold and silver in dollars and oils in dollars all this and of course in our country convert everything to dollars uh, but but we no longer are on that system but after it all got rebuilt people started to say wait a minute we got too many of these dollars our, our trade advantages started to evaporate. All of these foreign governments started giving us the dollars back and saying, hey, we want our gold back. Right? Send the gold back. We've got extra dollars that we don't need. To the point where by 1971, they closed the gold window because we went from 20,000 metric tons of gold in the early 50s, we had 8,000 metric tons when we closed the gold window, when Nixon closed the gold window in 1971. And there was a Belgian economist, Robert Triffin, in 1961. He was a, you know, one of those economists. He was an academia professor at Yale. They, they considered him to be an international monetary system expert and a currency expert. In 1961, he wrote, Gold and the Dollar Crisis, the Future of Convertibility. And really this, at least as far as I know, this is when it all started. They, they said that the, the, there was pushback about the system's inherent flaws, talking about Brenton Woods. And they named it the Triffin Dilemma. And this was out of the Daily Reckoning. If you want to read this in its entirety, we have this up on our website today. He theorized, he theorized that as long as the U.S. dollar 
remains the leader in foreign exchange reserves. The world would continuously elevate trade and finance that comes with a growing supply of dollars. Essentially what he said was, what in the heck are we all going to do with all these dollars? Right? The United States is starting to run these deficits. Right? Their national debt starting to grow. Their trade surpluses, they're starting to go away. Right? You think about how close he was within 14 years of writing this. We never ran a trade surplus again. The increase in the stock of dollars would require constant deficits in the United States balance of payments, and that's exactly what we have. He believed all along that with continued deficits, the pressure of the dollar would shake confidence and disrupt the Bretton Woods established monetary system. And this would consider, continue to put pressure on the dollar. And of course, all of these countries were trying to protect themselves. Right? That's why they were buying all the gold back. In 1966, and see how little has changed, they called it the Group of Ten. They consisted of the ministers and governments of the countries participating in the IMF. Right, These were the, the ten major countries of the world, I guess, at that time. And by 1966, the IMF produced a report that highlighted the need for reserves and the need for monetary funds outside the centralized system. Okay, and I'm going to tell you what that really means here in a second. Countries would use reserves in the form of automatic drawing rights in the same way as they now use existing drawing facilities. By purchasing foreign currencies from the fund in exchange for their own. So in 1966, they already knew and says, you know what? We need to replace the dollar. Matter of fact, they were smarter than that. We really need to replace all of the currencies. And we've got to create a way for them to be able to exchange their currency for this new currency that is controlled by the IMF. And then if you, you know, one of the things that was fascinating was in 1966,
we, we, we talk about economics. You know, you have the Keynesian economics, which is what our Federal Reserve believes in today. Keynesian? Yeah, John Maynard Keynes. He was the, the British economist. He, he essentially was the, the king of fiat money. Right? They hated gold. They hated the gold standard. And, and of course, part of his premise was true. Hey, if we could get off the gold standard, we could create inflation, call it economic growth, and get out of these bad times, right? Get out of the depression by inflating our way out. And in good times, you're supposed to pay it off. He actually talked about this two decades before. Talk about that next. In order to understand where we're really heading, and I don't, you know, fake news, uh, the news of the day, right? Somehow, the, the a high five after a golf shot could have, you know, huge ramifications, right? All that, you know, fluff. All you need to do is actually go back and read about what all of these academics have been wanting to put in place for decades and decades. I had no idea. Right? We, we talk a lot about Keynesian economics. That's the economic model that these central bankers have been operating on. And then we, you know, we... we we started to, in the 60s. The Europeans were like, hey, we've got this problem. We don't want all these dollars. And quite honestly, there's not enough gold. And then Nixon closed the gold window, so now there's really not enough gold for us to buy, to be diversified. And then you you think, wow, they came up with these special drawing rights in the 60s. And then we find out that that really wasn't true. Matter of fact, they knew about this stuff all the way back to, uh, really, the Depression. Matter of fact, Keynes, here's what he wrote. His proposal was for a new supranational currency, which he called, he actually gave it a name, Bancor, or Bancor, B-A-N-C-O-R. That's what he called the supranational currency in his writing. He devised it later in 1944, where he said it should be used as the international standard, not the dollar, but this new supranational currency. We need an instrument 
instrument of international currency having general acceptability between nations. We need an orderly and agreed-upon method of determining the relative exchange value of national currency units. This is exactly what I've been telling you is where they're heading. They want to digitalize the world. They're going to get rid of cash. They're going to get rid of the Federal Reserve note. Will be a footnote in history. You know, and, you, and I think about all of these economists and all of these academics. And they all know history. No fiat currency has ever lasted, ever. And back in the 40s, Keynes was already talking about eliminating the U.S. dollar. And it took them, well, first they had to rebuild Europe, so they were distracted, right? They were distracted. And once they had Europe rebuilt, the European members. And by the way, just so you know, and that, not that this matters, the United States, we're always the president of the IMF, but the Europeans actually run it. In other words, like Christine Lagarde is the head of the IMF now. She's, a, I believe, a French woman. Uh, but, but it's always a European academic slash banker, whatever you want to call them, that runs the IMF. But then they started to worry uh, as early as really the 50s and into the 60s about the debts and deficits in the dollar and the need for them to be ready for the next phase. And they created these special drawing rights in the late 60s. Matter of fact, I want to say... Uh, and I'm just trying to see what year. I know it was 1967, and maybe it was 68 that we agreed. Okay, there it is, 1969. They agreed upon the creation of these special drawing rights. And they gave a convertibility fact. And the convertible, the convertibility factor for the United States at the time was the they took a dollar and how many grams of gold it wasn't even you didn't even get a gram of gold but you had I think it was point eight eight six grams of gold uh, but nonetheless every country that was a member and by the way it was us. The UK, Japan, Italy, West Germany, right? Got to remember that was still a still the wall there. You still had East and West Germany, France, Canada, Australia, Belgium, and the Netherlands. We're going to finish up on what that really meant 
and what it holds for the future. Final segment coming up. So as we're learning today, this has been the goal really since almost inception of the central bank in 1913. By by the 1930s, they were already writing about this stuff. And you think about the special drawing rights today. And we made a big deal about how the Chinese got allowed in at the end of last year, even though they didn't meet the requirements. The special drawing rights today now consist of the U.S. dollar, the pound sterling, the Japanese yen, the euro, and the renminbi. Those are the one, two, three, four, five, the five currencies that can pose the drawing rights. And they talk about the need to allow nations to convert their currency in the drawing rights and how this would allow for all of these central banks to ensure the devaluation continues by simply changing the exchange rates to the SDRs. Now, the SDRs, and I've had some people talk about, well, they've been around a long time. The SDRs, the first time they got issued was in 1970. And they hardly got used. They sat dormant through the 80s and the 90s. Because that was during what? I'll call that the bubble-up decade, were real deficits. The deficits that they had been worried about in the 60s all came to fruition. And then, of course, what happened, just like they thought would happen, the crisis hit. Right? The same thing that Belgian economists had worried about in the early 60s happened. And, of course, now what's back? The special drawing rights are back. And all of the countries around the world are, are getting ready to end, you know, whatever their fiat currency is. And, and really, when you think about it, this isn't new. This has been the plan. And, and they're following the playbook to perfection. The one thing they didn't know was how long. Right? That was really the only unknown. Hey, we got to get this stuff ready. Not sure when we're going to need it. But when we get there, we've got it. And now we're seeing here, we're kind of in the last of it here, where eventually they get control of it all. And then the next crisis happens, and I promise you, as I'm sitting there, they're going to pitch this as the solution. This is how we're going to fix it. And they're going to start the media campaign, and they're going to come out, and Wall Street won't open on Monday if we don't do this, right? And nobody can sell their IRA or 401Ks, and nobody can get out. 
looking for it. Patriot Radio News Hour. Fascinating. We'll talk again tomorrow. Everyone take care. Have a great day.